Welcome to this special Indigenous Voices edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. A few months ago, we started Indigenous Voices, a little series within the Salt and Light Hour to help us get to know Indigenous people and to learn about their culture, their languages, and spirituality in the context of the journey towards healing and reconciliation. These conversations are also helping us understand some of the issues. So far, we've learned a bit about the residential school system, land claims, the Métis Nation, about the intersection between Catholicism and Indigenous spirituality, and last time, we learned about the 60s scoop and how Indigenous children were adopted into non-Indigenous families. Of course, we always talk about what reconciliation is and the significance of the Pope coming to Canada in this context. Today, we will meet a mother and sister, a brother and uncle, and a daughter and niece from the Stolo Nation in British Columbia, who will teach us the importance of language and family. I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to our fourth episode of this special Salt and Light Hour series, Indigenous Voices. Ginny Peters and Gerald Phillips are brother and sister who live in a community east of Vancouver on the mainland in British Columbia. I'll let them take it away from here. My traditional name is Siami. Um, my um, name is Virginia Peters and I come from the Phillips family. My parents were Nancy and William Phillips. Uh, they were born in 1907. They both went to residential school from 1916 to 1925. And so from there, um, they were forbidden to speak our language. And uh, any of our, our cultural ways Mm -hmm. uh, they, they couldn't practice those at all. And so um, when they got married in 1925, uh, they had 12 of us. Yes, so um, we have the youngest crop that are still here. And my, I have a brother named Reg, and he's um, 80, 83, no, 82. Yeah, and I'll soon be 80. Um, I have a sister, Pat. Um, she's um, 77. And Gerald is 74. 74. Oh, and Ginny, I'm so, I'm so glad you told us how old you were because I was going to, I didn't know if I should ask if it was appropriate for me to ask. Um, <laughs> thank you. And since you mentioned your brother, Gerald, who's there with you, Gerald, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, thanks, Pedro. Um, a little about myself is that I'm just now retired just for just about two years. I was a logger most of my life. I sat on uh, uh, the chief and council table for four <coughs> terms. And then um, 
I had, I got married in 1966 and I have a, a wonderful, wonderful wife who's very, very good. And I had two daughters. I only have one daughter here. I lost my baby girl just about two years ago. And uh, that, that was a sad time. But we're doing the best that we can. And that's a hard time. But, you know, I have family and that's who I rely on a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful to uh, my mom and dad for all the things that they showed us. You know, they showed us how to survive. That, I think that was the main thing because our culture was uh, forbidden and uh, our language was forbidden. I didn't even know that when I was a young boy. And then uh, I started learning a little bit about what was going on. And then uh, to me, uh, our family met everything to, to me. Um, we were very close. And that's the way that our parents uh, brought us up, is always to be together. You know, it, it made life uh, so much easier. And I went to uh, Chehalis Indian Day School. And I think that was in 1951 or 52. And I uh, was there for seven years. And uh, then uh, at that time, we didn't have to go to residential school. And I, I was really uh, upset with my, my brother and my sister when they would leave home. And I used to always ask my mom and dad, where, where are they going and how come? He says, oh, son, uh, they have to go to school. And so I said, you know what, uh, they have to do that to learn. And that's all I knew about residential school. But it was separating our family. And, and as uh, the baby of the family, it, it really hurt me. And then, uh, you know, I thank mom and dad, you know, for the things that they showed us. They showed us how to survive and to be together. And I think, you know, all of the way that uh, they showed us, life was good. I couldn't help but asking Gerald to tell us more about their mom. The, the big thing about it is our mother, she was a very devout Christian. And when we were following behind, she would always grab her hand. We had to walk down to the end of the village to go to church. At that time, I really, really learned uh, how important uh, Christianity was. We didn't know anything else, but we thought that was just a way of life. So it brought us all the things uh, that we needed to know about uh, what our Lord told us uh, to follow. And it was much easier with our mother because she was uh, always talking to us. And the, she, the, one of the big things she taught us was to be able to listen, to be obedient. Says, when anybody else speaks, you don't, you don't cut in and you don't say anything. And then we used to gather after church over at, a, at an old couple's home, just very close to the church. And they'd invite us over. And then uh, 
when we got there, they put lunch on a table. And there was probably, I would say, 12 people about. They had a common area for a dining place. And it was uh, interesting to watch. I remember we used to sit on the stairwell and just listen. But they spoke our language. They spoke with our tongue that we didn't understand. But we watched and we listened. And then you could tell by what they were doing. At first, you know, they sit down together and then they start talking a little bit. And then it would get really serious about the things that are happening in our community. And at how it was your responsibility to keep everything going in a good way. And they were awesome teachers, even though we didn't understand the language. But after the serious part about uh, getting together, they would turn to laughs. And everybody was laughing, so you could tell what they were. They were, you know, they, what was uh, we understood that was that they were having fun. So we learned, and uh, and then. Um, when I was a little boy, uh, probably six years old, I was with my mom and dad, and they were speaking to some other elders. And they said uh, that something that the elders understood with each other was they had the opportunity to talk to one another. And then uh, I remember telling my uh, my mom and dad was saying, I mean, I'm sorry that uh, he said if you see any of our kids doing something that shouldn't be happening, you tell them. He says, you let them know it's not right. And that was something that was understood with our elders. They were able to talk to one another and to be able to, to teach the younger ones. And that was a really good thing. So we learned a lot from the elders. And it's uh, something that's kind of lost right now is uh, one of the things that, uh, really on my mind is to get back that that role of the elders, uh, their roles and their responsibilities and how they should take care of their families. Yes, and now you and your sister are, are elders too. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, not amazed, but I'm, uh, it's so inspiring that you're still uh, together as a family and that those family bonds that could have been broken as you were growing up were not. And I'm wondering, uh, Ginny, if you can tell us a little bit about about learning the language. It sounds like uh, you were able to learn the language or some of those cultural aspects from your parents. As we were growing up, um, we could hear our mom and dad um, speaking in our language um, called Alkamewan. And, um, but we didn't know what they were saying. Uh, the only thing I can really remember is um, the rhythm of it, how they spoke the language uh, and the gestures that they made. Um, they didn't teach us the language. They didn't teach us our culture. While they were in residential school, you know, that was forbidden and they were punished severely, you know, um, to talk our language or to do anything in our traditional ways. And they, um, you know, began to feel 
uh, ashamed of who we are. They didn't want us going through that. They didn't want us to be ridiculed um, and um, labeled, you know, um, the things that um, they were called, they're, they're not gonna amount to anything. That um, they, um, that they are just dumb, they're stupid. And so when they were going to school, um, they didn't go for a whole day. They only went for a few hours, maybe three, four hours a day um, getting education. The other times they were working in the fields and, um, and learning how to sew, learning how to um, do laundry, um, to mend socks and, and uh, mend pants and, you know, and, and cook. And uh, there, um, most of it, you know, was I'm um, doing um, things like that. It did help. It, it gave us a lifetime of loss of um, who we were and our own language. And it didn't start coming back until the early 70s. And um, we had some, a few elders and my mom was one of them that went to teach um, the Halkamalem language in the school. And it was very, very difficult. And they had to have tremendous patience because the kids would become unruly. Um, you know, when these times happened, um, the parents didn't know how to parent anymore. Grandparents lost their voice to pass on the teachings because many of them um, lost that through residential school. Uh, so the parenting roles, you know, were, um, you know, almost non-existent with some of the families. But there's some allowance, you know, um, Gerald mentioned, you know, how our mom was. Our dad was always um, a good provider. You know, he made sure, you know, that um, we had shelter and we had food uh, and we had their love. Although they couldn't speak the words, I love you. That was taken away from them when they were in residential school as well. Yeah, it was um, very difficult. Um, and our mom, you know, she was a devout Catholic and our community is um, for the most part Catholic. You know, and when the um, oblate priest um, started coming here, we still didn't have to We had to come by canoe. And the um, masses then were in um, Latin. Yes. So um, we knew mass, you know, through that language. Speaking with Ginny and Gerald was wonderful, even though our internet connection was not the greatest. Perhaps that's an analogy to what it's like not having a language, how it affects our communication. 
we don't really understand how important a language is in defining not just a people, but an individual's identity. Sadly, we cannot really ever understand how important a language is until it is taken away. We also don't really understand the prominent role that elders have in indigenous communities and the importance of family for indigenous people. One of Ginny's daughters is Vange Point. I also had the chance to speak with her and she told us more about the importance of language. My name is Vange Point. I'm from Chehalis. I currently teach Halkamelam language in our Stealis Community School. Um, <clears throat> right from kindergarten all the way up to grade eight, and then two specific classes called Den Lalam and a box program. I've been here for 23 years. I started practicing my Halkamelam language back in 1994. Speaking of 1994 is when um, my grandmother was on her deathbed, Nancy Phillips. She um, came down with cancer and we had to take care of her um, year or around the clock. There was three of us granddaughters that took turns and had shifts to go and care for her. So I was a mother of two little boys at the time. Um, so I had plenty of time to go and help um, care for her. <clears throat> She's taught in our community school for 25 years. Um, and that was her, that was her life. Halkamelam language or indigenous language. And she was also a church follower. She would um, always make it to church. And she passed that on to my mom. And then my mom passed it on to me and my siblings. And now I have eight grandchildren, but um, basically only one follows me for now. Vange also told me how important faith has always been for her. I've been brought up um, believing in God, the Creator, and um, you know how to look up to it everything to keep myself um, you know going and alive and um, I pray every day. I teach the children at the school how to pray in our Halkamelam language. Um, each class is um, said with the opening prayer each class with our language. And with them doing that, I always try to explain to them that when you speak our language, um, the words that you're saying is the ancestors are listening and they're here and they're happy. They're very happy to hear that you're speaking our language. And a lot of them in, a, in our heaven, they look down 
at you and they're smiling. And I tell them that they're so smart, that they, they know how to recite it um, fluently so that they're smarter than their parents. So that makes them feel a little bit more happier. Um, plus it has, the prayer usually has like, help me creator, um, you know, guide my hands, keep it gentle while I play and guide my feet from going wrong. Guide me creator, I am your child. So we have say that in our language and I tell the students that when they pray, they have to really think about how they're praying and that it, that prayer is gonna help them through the day. It was impossible for Vange not to tell me about her grandmother and how important language was for her. Back to my grandmother, Nancy Kotasia, she was very worried about our language. Um, She didn't want it to die. I took it upon myself to um, lie down beside her. And I told her, Grandma, whatever it takes, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to teach the language. After saying that, it finally dawned on me what a, a promise I made. The hugest promise in the whole white world to my grandmother. I went outside and looked around for a while and then when I looked up, there was a, a coyote standing there looking at me. The coyote was very old. He didn't seem vicious or anything. He just looked at me in the eye. And I told the coyote, I know why you're here. You're here to take my grandmother. And there I've accepted that the coyote used to take my grandmother. A few days later, she passed on. In my head, I had this conscience of the last words I promised her. Not too long later, um, an opportunity did come up with the Stalo Nation um, in Chilliwack offered up immersion program of Halkmalum language. I jumped on it immediately and got myself enrolled. I went there for five straight months, five days a week, five hours a day, learning our language. I fully dedicated myself to keep my promise. 
had to leave my sons in care with their dad to be able to carry on with my studying. I managed to finish those, um, the immersion program. And then the ne next opportunity was um, joining some fluent elders at the Stalo Nation grounds there. Um, there was three elders that were there teaching us the language and with that, they also um, taught other things culturally like the um, traditional medicines. So I've learned the medicines as well, um, how to take the things that Mother Earth grows for us, all the medicines, the trees and the plants, um, what to do with them and how to make teas or salves or anything um, to help heal our people. So I studied more on that as well. Um, as time went on, I also learned how to um, <clears throat> utilize our cedar tree. We made um, cedar headbands, cedar roses, um, cedar mats and baskets. And hearts even, cedar rose hearts. Um, so I was able to pick up all of these things from the elders. And to me, um, the elders passing on their knowledge and finally revealing it to the ones that really wanted to learn um, to me, it felt like they're finally letting everything out because the residential schools, they were holding it back to themselves. And then when they start releasing it to the ones that were there with them, um, it felt like they didn't want to take their knowledge with them when they left. You mentioned, sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned obviously language has been so important and obviously the relationship you had with your grandmother or that you still even have with her is so important to you. For for people who don't really understand that concept of language, how would you explain to a non-Indigenous Canadian the significance of having a language? And I'm thinking even some of the other cultural aspects that you mentioned about the medicines or using cedar, how hard that would be if you did to, to learn that or to pass that on if you did not have the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would, um, it's our Halkamelam language um, in Estola territory. I, I teach the ones that um, asked me to do workshops for them. Um, but here in the community school, I teach the language. Um, 
all ages and all levels and um, a lot of vocabulary words, um, sentences and phrases to go with the vocabulary words. With the traditional medicines, um, I do workshops, plus I also implement it into our school curriculum here, where we would um, focus on probably four or five plants only to show the children what they are and the uses, especially for um, mosquito bites, spider bites, and all that kind of stuff, cuts, scrapes, right. and bruises. So they're, they really like that. Um, it's good to take them out on an adventure and show them the land. Yeah. And they're happy with it. So I also get called on now to do um, medicine walks, um, medicine talks. Um, and as time went on, and then I just started creating my own, my own books for different types of groups of people that have asked me to come and um, focus on traditional medicinal plants and uses. How, how is the use of language in your community now? Are there more and more young people uh, learning the language? Is it something that you feel is coming back? It uh, is coming back, yes. And with the, with the help of Jamie Deacon, uh, we're now implementing our language into our church, our community church. Wonderful, yeah, because you are you have a Catholic community there. Mm -hmm. So we do the Our Father. Um, we're getting pretty good at good at it, um, but there are other parts where um, we would like to have the people's responses um, said in our language. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very happy that this is happening. And thanks to Jimmy Deacon for pushing all those for us and the ones for us that we go to the church, right? Yes, so important. Mm -hmm. So important to be able to pray in your own language mm -hmm. as well. Um, Vang, I know that you're in the classroom. You're waiting for a bunch of students to come in so that they can learn from you. And so I, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I did want to thank you so much for sharing a little bit about, about you and what you do and how important not just language has been for you, but, but the relationship that you have with your grandmother. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you for asking me. It is so important to pray in your language. Those of us who have not lost our language don't really understand how profound that is. Vange also said that when you're speaking your language, the ancestors are listening. That is a beautiful concept. It is inspiring how Ginny has passed on their language tradition. It is inspiring how Ginny has passed on their language traditions and Catholic faith to her children. Vange had a whole group of young people arrive for language class. Here again, here again are her mom, Ginny, and Uncle Gerald.
So, so Ginny, you were saying that it's your your family has been a Catholic family. Your mother, you mentioned your mother. She was a very Christian woman. Do you know how many generations they were Catholic? Well, um, so she came here in 1925 when she married my dad. Uh, she actually came from one of the communities um, within the Stella Nation. And it's a place called Chiacton. That's where she was born and brought up. But um, when her mom passed away, they had to go to residential school uh, because um, the father, our grandfather, couldn't um, bring up all of the children himself. So they all ended up in residential school. Yeah, so... Um, that's when, I think it was 1925, actually, when, when um, our church um, was built. And the priests came around, the missionaries, they were calling them in that time, um, you know, were starting to come here. And um, so the men um, got interested and they built um, the first um, Catholic Church, the one, the picture that you just saw. Yeah, and so they used to come by canoe. Uh, right. To, um, to officiate Mass. And it couldn't be every Sunday. Um, so, but um, a few of um, our elder men uh, took that responsibility to make sure that um, we gathered on a weekly basis. And one of them used to sing the songs and say prayers, you know, when the priests didn't come. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were very strong in that way. And we had, as time went on, you know, and we, I call this the dark era, you know, and it, um, the liquor stores and beer parlors opened to our people in um, 19, around 1955. So a lot of um, the guys started um, to consume and a lot of them became alcoholics because it, it's something foreign to our, our bodily chemistry. So they were easily, um, yeah, became alcoholics. And so life really kind of changed. And then when these elders um, that um, passed away, then um, there was really no, we didn't have that leadership anymore. But by then, you know, we had roads. And so the priests were coming in um, um, like on a weekly basis. Uh, and um, they were the oblates of um, Mary Immaculate. You know, that were coming in. And I think a lot of them resided at uh, St. Mary's School resident, Residential School at uh, Mission. Um, so um, after the, those um, elders left, then our mom kind of took over. Um, she would um, say the prayers. Uh, and lead the songs in church because one of the old men used to lead um, the hymns. But he, you know, after he passed, then our mom took it over. You know, we didn't have music 
but um, you know, we sang. And I, so it seems, you know, that um, our mom, you know, she became a strong leader um, with the church. And she got called to many, many places whenever there were deaths or whenever there's celebrations or, or gatherings, um, she was called to start the meetings um, with prayer. Yeah, and um, she was um, very active. She became part of our school committee <clears throat> and, and, you know, and was um, part of the making change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our language and everything then started um, to come alive. Yeah, so... It, it's um, through her modeling, you know, that um, we're able to carry on. And, and now it seems like I'm, I'm stuck in her shoes <laughs> and I get called all over the place now to do what she was doing. Yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the grandmother now. Um, yeah. Your, your daughter, we were just talking with your daughter, Vange, and she really made the point that you're also making of language and spirituality are go together. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so important that they go together. And I think mm -hmm. for, for some people who maybe have not lost the language or, or are not spiritual, maybe they don't understand that. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering, Gerald, what do you tell people who don't understand how an indigenous person like you can be Catholic. Do you see that there's any conflicts between indigenous spirituality and the Catholic faith, or do you see that those two work well together? They all seem there's uh, complementary ways uh, with our uh, spiritual way, uh, our cultural ways. We're always thankful to the Creator, you know, for all the wonderful things that we have. And then we're always uh, opening up anything that we do, any ceremony, any meeting that we have. We thank the Creator for gathering us as a circle, and we ask Him to put all our minds and our hearts together and what we're working on. I know for me, it was uh, I followed the, the church until uh, after after I was married. I got married in 1966, but I still followed the church. And then when our, our spirituality uh, culture came back to us, I wanted to be able to be a, a teacher. So I really listened to the elders and how, you know, how they take care of their own people. But, you know, I am so grateful to uh, Christianity because at the time I, I was a, a young boy, that was all the only thing that belief that we had. You know, there was no other beliefs at that time. And then uh, I really learned to be able to, uh, to talk to God a lot whenever I needed help. And it was something that I was telling my kids, you know, I said, we have to be thankful for everything that we have, you know, and we have uh, our Lord to thank for that because it's with his generosity and with his teaching, he showed us how to, to live and to be able to, to help the younger generation. And it was uh, when I found out about uh, residential 
schools and whatever happened, you know, it was a really hard pill to swallow. And, uh, but, you know, I have so much respect for uh, Deacon Jamie and his, and his wife, Connie. You know, I said, just, I don't hold anything against, against them because they're carrying on in such a good way that they're so open to uh, our community members. And you, you could see uh, the trust, trustfulness in that. And we're able to talk about many things. You know, we never had that, uh, the time to really talk with uh, our past priests and a lot of, a lot of things that uh, we do. Mm -hmm. but Deacon Jamie has been so open to our cultural ways, you know, that we're able to, to get together and to incorporate some of uh, the things in our culture with these services. And it, that, to me, is a real blessing, you know, that we come together like that. Mm -hmm. uh, a wonderful thing to feel. But you know that uh, the reality of the um, residential schools you know, that uh, I have uh, quite a few friends that are non-native and they heard about what was happening, and, but they all came forward to us and they were devastated of, of what happened to the, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the ones that are not here anymore, the children. So it's, uh, it, it was really hurtful. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, our mother, Nancy, was that person. She said, no matter what happens in your life, your kids, says, even if it's bad, and no matter how much it hurts at times, there's something in you that you have to do, and that's forgive. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things that my mom taught us, you know, I said, if there's Anybody that don't like you or tries to hurt you, don't put them down. Mm -hmm. And again, you can't help what you're doing. Yes. I was going to say again, that's another similarity between Christianity and, and some indigenous spiritual uh, traditions. Yeah. I was going to say to you a little earlier, um, you know, that um, I think um, my my religion, my um, being a Catholic, and also being a member of um, the spiritual winter dancer, um, they really complement each other. You know, and I, it's very comparative, you know, and you think, just for an example, you know, the seven sacraments, um, they're so comparative to the seven laws of life and the seven sacred teachings, you know. Um, and, and um, yeah, so to me, um, they're both very important, you know, and I have a big um, family. My, I had five children. I had um, 11 grandchildren. I have 22 greats and two great greats. And even though my kids are, you know, getting really old now, <laughs> and they still listen to me. And their children, you know, they, um, like mom would always teach us, you know, it's, um, coming to church is really important. 
And what is happening now, you know, is um, we're able to bring in some of um, our own ways um, into the church where it was really forbidden in the past. Yeah, it's... uh... We first started and we brought the feather and the drum, you know, um, you know, we really got criticized for that. Um, but now, you know, we can have all of these and in, in, um, our church. Yes. Um, Ginny, can you tell us a little bit about your residential school experience? Yeah. Um, I had to find a place to go to high school. Uh, our school only went to grade eight. And so um, the only place I could go to was the residential school uh, in Mission. And um, that was um, really difficult for me to be separated from my family because um, we mentioned you know, we were a very close-knit family and mom was always there for us. So it was a very lonely time. It was um, wrenching my heart, you know, to stand on the hill and just look towards home and wish I was at home. Um, and mom always taught us, you know, you got to listen to the authority that was really entrenched in her, into her from residential <clears throat> schools. They know the best. You listen to them. And so... You know, like Gerald was saying, we all tried our best, you know, those within our family, you know, and, and we listened, um, listened to mom, and we always respected her and daddy. And, um, and um, so that's what we did. Um, and so I did um, become a person who didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to do anything wrong. So emotionally, um, you know, it had effects on me. And um, verbally, I wasn't called down directly. But when one person got called down, we all got called down. If one person did something wrong, we were all punished. If something went wrong, Within the residence, um, we had to fix it. And if we had to um, work in the kitchen, we have to start really early in the morning and we have to go to five o'clock mass in the morning before we go to the kitchen. And every Friday, um, we have to go to confession. And um, that really made us feel inferior, um, thinking, you know, um, what we're being called is what we got to go and confess. Those were hard times. Thank you for sharing a little bit, Jeannie, with us. I know, I know it's not easy to, to go back and remember, but it is important for us to hear those stories. Um, but there are also some, some, some good stories that you've shared with us from what you remember growing up with your, particularly your mother. She sounds mm-hmm. like she was a wonderful lady and, and Gerald, mm-hmm. you also mentioned your dad, uh, sounds like he was a very wise man. And now you, both of you have passed on 
those teachings and that wisdom to your children and your grandchildren. And Jeannie, you said great, great, great grandchildren, I think I heard. So that's, yeah. that's wonderful. And before you go, I, I can't help but ask you how you feel about Pope Francis coming to Canada, specifically to meet with Indigenous people. I mean, that, that's wonderful, don't you think? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, something that um, always um, inspired us, you know, and, and we drove um, many miles, you know, to see Pope um, at Fort Simpson, uh, and he came to Abbotsford, and mm -hmm. our mom just had to be there, you know, so we drove all the way to Fort Simpson when, when the um, Pope came there. So, you know, it is very inspiring and it, it's touching to know that um, he is coming, you know, to our people. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I, I, I look forward to meeting you in person one day. And um, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe you'll be able to drive and see Pope Francis when he comes. Mm -hmm. All right. Take care. God bless. Okay, God bless you too. Bye, yes. Yes, thank you so much. It's been uh, so good to meet you, Pedro. Without a language, you don't have culture. Imagine teaching your children about some traditional recipes without the language. Imagine teaching them prayers or other... Imagine teaching them prayers or other traditions, dances, or celebrations without having a common language. It's very hard. I spoke with Ginny and Gerald much longer than the time allotted for this program, and they told me many more stories of when they were younger. What was really clear in everything they said, and in everything Vange said, was that sense of family. They all spoke highly, both Ginny and both Ginny and Gerald spoke highly of their parents and how important family is, how family learns from each other, protects each other, and sticks together. And that is what Ginny and Gerald have done, despite all the challenges. And that in itself is a great example to us. And for that, I am grateful. In the next week or so, Pope Francis will be in Canada he is making an apostolic journey in the context of the journey of healing and reconciliation with Indigenous people. You can watch all those events on Salt and Light Television and Salt and Light Plus. Visit our website, slmedia.org. I have just finished producing a documentary titled Walking Together, which follows the Indigenous delegations that traveled to Rome to meet with Pope Francis this past March and focuses on Pope Francis's address to them on April 1st. In it, we speak with some of the delegates and others who help us understand a lot of these issues that we are also addressing in this mini-series. Colonization, forced assimilation, intergenerational trauma, all issues that the Pope refers to in his address. The film also explores the meaning of reconciliation and invites us to consider that before reconciliation, one must address the truth, seek justice, and be open to healing. One of the people featured in Walking Together is Chief Wilton Littlechild. He is a Cree chief and residential school survivor 
who was one of the three commissioners for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Chief Littlechild was a member of the 1977 Indigenous Delegation to the United Nations and worked on the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. He has been a member of Parliament and Vice President of the Indigenous Parliament of the Americas. In addition to his ongoing work with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he's continued to run his own law firm in Masquachese, Alberta, and maintains his commitment to sport. Did I mention that he is an accomplished hockey player? He has been inducted into seven sports halls of fame. Chief Littlechild was awarded the Order of Canada in 1993, and recently he spoke with me. We will leave you with some of his thoughts. To learn more about all Indigenous issues, especially as they intersect with the Catholic Church, and for resources, you can visit our website, slmedia.org healing. To listen to all our Salt and Light Hour programs, and especially to other Indigenous Voices episodes, visit us at slmedia.org podcast. I'm Deacon Pedro. Thank you for listening to the special Indigenous Voices edition of the Salt and Light Hour. And here now is Chief Wilton Littlechild. My name is Maikan Moteo. My English name is Willie Littlechild, and my residential school name was number 65. So in our language, it means walking wolf. And then, of course, my English name. Well, I grew up here on the Ermanskin Reserve. I uh, was taken to boarding school when I was six years old. Spent 11 years in, at the Ermanskin School. There was two of them, the older one and the new one. Uh, 11 years there. But uh, it, it was uh, because mainly of high school that I got sent to a third. Uh, we only had up to grade nine. And then they brought in grade 10, grade 11, gradually. So I left to go to Edmonton to another residential school. Well, there's lots of memories. Um, first of all, I uh, came not knowing English or French. Uh, I just knew my own language. Um, so I, I, it was difficult in a way not knowing either English or French uh, at the beginning in, in the early years. Uh, being left-handed was a, a challenge. Um, and just growing up in an environment with other, um, so many children in the same building was totally new to me because I was basically by myself with my grandparents. Right. So that was a challenge. School was, I guess, school like any other experience. Um, I worked very, very, very hard in school. I remember that uh, because I wanted to play sports. I wanted to play hockey and I wasn't really good enough to play anything. So I, I worked on my physical um, self along with my spiritual uh, upbringing. And uh, the academic. I try to find a balance, I used to say, when people ask me, well, how did you make it? And when I think back, I think it was having that traditional grounding by my grandparents to seek balance in life. 
and by that I found out later that they meant physically, take care of your body, uh, mentally take care of your, what you put in your mind, and discipline, discipline yourself, and uh, culturally be proud of who you are. And uh, try and balance those four elements of life and you should be okay. So um, that's what I tried to do. And I think when I look back, that was uh, a very important teaching because I didn't understand it right away. I didn't understand when they said balance, so like, like balance riding my horse or, you know, balance doing something else. Uh, but it was uh, really a balance in life, all the elements of life, your spiritual, your physical, mental, cultural, some say emotional element as well.